What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Keep or Cut podcast, a proud member of the Pitcherless podcast channel. It's hosted by myself, Pete Ball, as always with my co-host, Chad Young. Chad, it's been a while. Yeah, we, we missed a week in there, but we're right back in the saddle now, ready to go. That's right. We were crushing, I think, 14 straight weeks. We had to miss a week, but we are back. Fear not. And Chad, I think... I could be wrong on this number. It's either 15 or 16, but I think there's been 16 no hitters since we last chatted. Yeah, or, or 19, 25. <laughs> it's every night it feels like there's <laughs> there's like two near no hitters and a no hitter basically every day. Just yes. just here in Seattle alone, last <laughs> Thursday, Plesak almost got the no no, went seven in, before he lost it, and then Turnbull got one. It's just. Uh, it's crazy. So if Plesak got his, then Turnbulls would have been the third no-hitter against the Mariners this year, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's man. which would have set a record, I believe. I don't think any team has ever been no-hit three <laughs> times in a season. A handful have been had it done twice. And we've now had, we've had six no-hitters this year against only three total teams. Cleveland, Texas, and Seattle have all been no-hit twice. <laughs> And Cleveland has a good record. There's actually like one of the last teams to get no hit twice was like a good Dodgers Dodgers team, I think, someone like that. Like, there's actually no pattern. Like, because I, I was looking at it after the Indians got no hit twice, I was like, oh man, my team got no hit <laughs> twice in the same season. That's got to be like a bad sign. And it turns out, no, there were like 15 teams that it's happened to, and one of them won the World Series, and a bunch of them made the playoffs. Wow. And so, like, yeah, it's just one of those things, which I think, you know. The reality is, obviously, throwing a no-hitter takes a lot of skill. But the biggest factor in a no-hitter is Babbitt, right? I mean, that's unless you strike out like 20 guys and the other guys go 0 for 7 or something like that, that's what it comes down to is no balls in play found grass. From that perspective, it be, it starts to be real clear that like, yes, the offense has to do a bad job. They didn't hit any home runs. They, they didn't like – they probably didn't hit any scorchers. Maybe they hit a couple that just found gloves. But a lot of it is just – bad luck on balls in play. And so, you know, a pitcher having having his stuff on and a team having bad luck on balls in play twice in the same season, it obviously doesn't happen very often except this year, but it it doesn't necessarily say a whole lot about the team involved. That's a good point. I, I, that's totally fair. And I mean, you know, I expect you to defend the Indians and you should. And then their their record is definitely positive. I do hope for the Mariners sake that Julio Rodriguez just improves that fielding so he can make his way to the major league. So they stop getting no hits. But <laughs> I knew the no hitters were nonsense when Wade Miley pitched one. When Wade Miley pitched one this year, I said, okay, we have to look at the baseballs because if Wade Miley is tossing a no-hitter, we have some major problems. <laughs> it's amazing how many bad pitchers throw no-hitters, though. Like, again, getting back to that... Uh, Philip Humber. <laughs> Philip Humber threw a perfect game. I mean, That's you know, right. it's... And uh, who is... There was that rookie pitcher for the Cardinals in, like, the 90s that threw a no-hitter and then just was never good again, basically. I have no idea. It is, again, it's one of those things that, like, there are obviously a lot of good pitchers that throw no-hitters. They're obviously more likely to throw no-hitters. When you look at the pitchers who have thrown multiple no-hitters, they are often very, very good pitchers. But there's some there's some pitchers out there who have thrown no-hitters that you're like, okay. Like, I'm, I'm just looking at recent no-hitters in history. So Spencer Turnbull is fine. Wade Miley has been around a long time. 
Alec Mills <laughs> threw a no hitter. Hold, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Wade Miley's been around a long time. That's, that's, that's all. That's all we could say about him. That's, that's what I've got. That's what I've got for you. Is that he's been around a long time. <laughs> in Fair 20, tw- but in 2020, Alec Mills threw a no hitter. In 2019, Mike Fierce threw a no hitter. 2018. Or 2017, Edinson Volquez. Mike Fears Mike Fears actually has two no hitters, which seems crazy to me. I mean, just I don't know. You look back in in 2015, Chris Heston threw a no hitter. Do you know who Chris Heston oh, is? Oh, that's he was on the <laughs> Giants. Remember, yeah. yeah, so you do remember who he is, which is yeah, yeah. impressive. <laughs> Guy, <Is> I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I just I don't know. There's just sometimes guys throw no hitters. It's just a thing, like. Now, there's a lot of really good names in here, right? I'm, I'm skipping over a lot of names because you're also getting like Francisco Liriano, Justin Verlander. Jared Weaver wasn't great, but he was very, very good for a while. Johan Santana threw one. I don't know. I mean, you just get, I don't know, they happen sometimes. They don't usually happen six times in the first six weeks of the season. And <laughs> so there is something clearly going on now. I just want to know who's going to get the next one. It's The, the Indians still haven't thrown a no-hitter. They've now been no-hit twice this year and haven't had haven't thrown one in my lifetime. <laughs> so I, it's... Uh, That's actually really surprising. Yeah. I mean, you think, you think about Cleveland, especially the last, let's say, 10 years. Yeah. Even longer than 10 years, right? Because... They had, they had Sabathia come up in the early 2000s. And since then, they've had Sabathia and Cliff Lee and Kluber and Carrasco and Bieber. They just seem to just churn out pitchers. And May 15th, 1981, Len Barker threw a perfect game for Cleveland against Toronto. And they haven't thrown a no-hitter since. Wow. That, that, is, uh, that is really surprising. Well, I read from Jeff... Jeff passing that we're on pace for 20 no hitters this year. If this current pace keeps up, who knows? Like you said, it's entirely fluky, but something Chad that is definitely uh, on pace for record numbers. I assume are injuries. Uh, We've been experiencing a lot, a lot, a lot of injuries this season. And I think that's impacted the fantasy season in yes, uh, that obviously we have to use the waiver wire more. We need more IL spots, so on and so forth. But I also think it may have brought trade season upon us a little bit earlier. And that's where Chad and I's focus is today. We're going to be looking at trades, particularly, obviously, in keeper formats, which is what our focus always is, but really in Ot New, because it has this really cool feature uh, on Fangraphs Ot New where you can click on a player and you can see basically the history of how they've been traded, right? I mean, Chad, that's that's essentially the gist of it. Yeah, it is. I mean, if you go into your league or any league and you click, you search for a player and click on the player page, it brings up, I think it's the 10 most recent trades for that player in that format. So if you're looking at like, if you're looking at a player page in a four by four league, which I'm, I'm looking right now, I've got in front of me, Jared Kelnick's four by four page for league one. And it shows me at the bottom, his 10 most recent trades in four by four leagues. These date back to late last, actually even to down to 2019. He hasn't been traded that often in four by four leagues, which is sort of interesting in and of itself. Um, but it's a really useful, it's a really useful tool. Just like if you've got Jared Kelnick and someone makes you an offer for him, you can click over to his page and be like, okay, in this format, he's been traded this many times this season for these kinds of players and get a sense of whether the return you're looking at is on par with those, not on par. Uh, it can be a little dangerous. You don't want to get into a 
point where you're like, well, that trade looks better. So th my trade isn't good enough. You want to always make sure you're thinking about, you know, what makes sense for your team and your context, because it's often different. But it's super fun to go look and see what, what, what's been traded and what guys are worth and what can happen out there. Um, it's really useful, I think, as you're looking at prospects in season for prospect auctions. You can go and check and be like, do I want to bid on this guy? Well, let me look at what his trade value has been. Has he been able to pull in like, I'm a contender. Do I want to buy Jaron Duran? Well, I can go look and see, okay, I don't know if he's going to help me a ton this year. I'm not really sure when he's going to be up, hopefully soon, but I can't count on that. So I can go look and say, okay, and I'm now looking in Fangraph's points leagues at his page. He was traded. Duran and a $30 Aaron Nola were traded for a $36 Trevor Story just last week. Around the same time, Duran was in a package with Trevor Larnock, Adbert Alzelay, and Willie Calhoun, all at $5 or less for $41 Max Scherzer and a $51 Nolan Arenado. Duran and Alzelay again in a deal uh, just a few days before that, for along with Dominic Smith and Nico Horner for a $40 Manny Machado and a $7 Randall Grichuk. So you can start to get a sense of like, okay, Duran is part of a package, is actually getting some studs coming back. And so... I'm competing right now. Maybe it is worth it for me to spend three, four bucks on Jaron Duran because who knows? I might be able to turn around and, and trade him with a couple of other guys to get a Scherzer, an Arenado, someone like that. Yeah, and that's an important clarification point. Like, yes, we were just looking at it from the perspective of of the Duran rosterer. But, you know, last episode, episode 14, we were talking about rebuilds and certainly you would be the guy interested in Jared Duran. But this episode, we're talking about potentially being that player who's trading for both Scherzer and Arenado, which was one of those packages that I found really interesting. And so taking on those different perspectives, because, you know, we're all at different points in our, our odd new leagues and in our keeper leagues as well. I think a lot of this analysis will carry over pretty nicely. I wanted to look at four different categories of players that that our listeners might be looking to trade. Now, the first category is a young player, so he's going to be cheap, who is performing really well and looks like he's going to be you know, a stud for a long time. In my mind, those are the types of guys that probably have the most value, right? Because they are performing at a high level for a cheap cost, not rocket science. The next category would be that aging veteran who still has anywhere from, some, from just value to a lot of value. Well, the example I'm going to use is you, Darvish, when we get to him. The next category is much more specific, and that is a closer who's probably a rental. Uh, so, so saves this year, just like last year, are a mess. Different players are getting saves all over the place. Guys who are leading the league in saves are guys that we did not expect to do so. So sure, you're Josh Hader, you're Raldis Chapman. They're probably going to maintain their value. You're not really looking to sell them. Maybe, I mean, sure, you're looking to sell them if you're, if you're selling. You could get something for them surely, but the $3 Mark Melanson is one that I think might have quite a bit of value. And then finally, the last category is just a stud who gets paid like a stud, who is a stud and is going to continue to be a stud. What do you get for them? So I think those are our four categories, Chad, before we dive in, any thoughts or categories you wanted to add yourself? No, I mean, I think those are those are probably the big ones. I think the, the thing that makes this so interesting and the thing I love about Keeper Leagues, right, the, the main reason I really love playing in Keeper Leagues is those categories don't exist in Redraft at all. And they only kind of exist even in Dynasty. Because in Redraft, 
you're only looking at this year. So the fact that some guy is, you know, cost very little in draft capital doesn't really matter. The fact that he might be better next year or someone's hurt this year or someone might retire after the season, like none of those things are factors because you're just playing for this year. And even in dynasty, like for the most part, a player's value this year is very close to their value for next year. Right. Like no one's looking at Mookie Betts in, in a dynasty league and thinking, I don't know, he might start to age. Like and even even, you know, you mentioned Darvish, even Darvish. I don't think anyone's looking at Darvish right now. And like, yes, at some point in the next two, three, four years, something like that, he is going to fall off. It's going to happen. He's getting to that age. But how much less valuable do you expect him to be next year than this year? I, I'm not looking at him right now and thinking like he's he's an ace this year and next year i hope he's a number three starter like that's that's not where he is and so even in dynasty leagues i think there's a relatively small number of players that become cells uh there's a lot of guys who are buys there are a lot of guys who you could keep for a long time um but i don't think you know other than you know i don't believe this performance i you know lots of i want to sell high kind of things those happen but like you're not really looking at a guy and thinking he can't he doesn't fit on my team next year, so I better move him now. And that's the fun thing about keeper leagues, and it matches, I think, what happens with major league teams, right? This guy's on an expiring contract. He's not going to be around next year anyways. We're not competing. We better move him now and try to get something in, of value in return. And that's really like that last group you were talking about, those studs who are studs who are going to be studs, and they're paid like a stud. If you've got a $65 Mookie Betts in your team and you're not planning on keeping him for 67 next year, He's a trade chip. He's not a trade chip in redraft, and he's not a trade chip chip in dynasty because his value is too high in those places and you can keep him forever, or there's no keeping anyways. But in keeper leagues, where his cost is high, there are lots of cases where you could say, I could keep him, I might want to keep him, but I actually might be able to get better future value by trading him. And I, to me, that's the, the fun part of auto new. It's the fun part of keeper leagues is this, this balance between now and the future. And so Chad, for our listeners, before we dive in, just as a point of clarification, I would want you to elaborate on this, not myself. You're much more the odd new expert. Say somebody hears that. Oh man. Okay. So I have a $67 Mookie bets and I want to trade him. Does that mean I have to match value, especially since most people are pretty much close to the $400 salary cap? Now, I do know the answer because I recently just had to give out a loan myself, but could you just talk about that a little bit? Because I think it'll help. Yeah. So in auto new leagues, you can trade, you can trade cap dollars is basically what you're doing. You can loan money. And so the way that that works is if I've got a $65 bets and I'm trading them to another team, I can include a loan which effectively raises their salary cap at the expense of lowering mine. Um, most trades, this might be an exaggeration. Well, I think this is pretty accurate. Most trades include a loan to balance the salaries, uh, especially when you're looking at those kind of star players or big salaries or things like that. And what I mean by balance the salaries is if I trade my $65 Mookie bets for your $10, I don't know, your $10 Jared Kelnick, just as an example, I would also loan you $55 in the deal. So we're loaning the difference so that effectively what happens is if if both teams started the trade with $5 of cap space, they both end the trade with $5 of cap space. Just one of those teams has $55 more on their books and $55 more of cap space. The other team has $55 less on their books and $55 less of, of their on their total cap. 
Does that all make sense? I feel like now I'm I'm no, throwing all these numbers out there. <laughs> that makes perfect sense. And I when I accepted the trade that I did, and, and that's going to be the yacht new question of the day. So we'll get to it eventually. Um, I when I saw that my I went to my team page and it was like, you now have, you know, so much money out of $386. And I was like, what? Wait a second. What's going on here? But literally it just lowered my, my total uh, salary. So uh, without it, these trades that we're going to discuss today really wouldn't be possible. Well, some of them anyway. And so it's such an important component that I think we have a a firm understanding of that when we're talking about specifically Otnu. Yeah. And I think it's, it's also important to remember that while I, while I did say most trades include sort of a balancing loan, that isn't a guarantee, and it should be part of your negotiation. And, and if you're expecting a loan when you make a trade offer, um, if you make the trade offer in the system, you include the loan in the system. So when you're making a trade, make sure you look at the bottom of, you know, you go into Auto New to make a trade, you get the list of players on one team, the list of players on the other on the other side, you check some boxes for the players you want involved. And at the bottom, there's a, how much are you loaning to the team or how much are they loaning to you? Make sure you fill that out. Uh, the nice thing is that when you click submit a trade, you get a confirmation window that pops up. And that confirmation window shows you the player, shows you the loan, and actually shows you the impact on cap space. So you'll see that like, like I've almost done this before where I forgot the loan where there was like 40 bucks that should have been involved. And you pull it up and you get this big red thing that says, you will have negative $37 in cap space. And you're like, whoa, (laughs) okay, cancel this, get the loan situated. It's very useful that that's there. But there are cases where cap, like cap space has value. And so I often will make trades in leagues where I have a lot of cap space. One of the things I will do if I'm buying is say to the, you know, the person who's selling, hey, I'm not going to need a full loan for bets. I'll, I'll, throw, I'll take $10 off the loan because I have enough cap space and it'll help you out. And they, people really value that. Uh, and similarly, if you don't have a lot of cap space and you want some, Sometimes it's worth it to trade for it, right? Sometimes it's worth it to say, in this trade, I want to get one prospect back, but instead of a second prospect, I want $8 in cap space. Um, You have to know what you need and what else is going on in your league and what's on the table. But sometimes it's better to take that cap space back than it is to take take another player. And Chad, when does that cap space reset? So that all resets after the season, basically. So um, during the season... You have your player salaries, so the, the salaries of the guys on your team. You have any loans going in or out, and you have any cap penalties you've incurred, right? So you incur a cap penalty when you cut a guy. So you've got, if, if you look at the total amount you're spending, it is salaries plus cap penalties. If you look at the total amount you have available, it's $400, which is your starting budget, plus or minus any loans coming in or out that move that 400 around. After the season, Cap penalties are wiped out. Loans are wiped out. There are no multi-season loans or anything like that. Um, and so once you hit you know, November, you go back to no cap penalties, a $400 salary cap, and getting ready for the offseason. And, and, and it doesn't actually matter in the offseason until January. January 31st is the, the deadline where you have to get your roster legal. So if you make a bunch of trades during the season, you have $470 of salary on your team. Plus, you get increases after the season. Plus, arbitration happens, all that. And all of a sudden, you have 550 bucks on your team. That's fine until January 31st at midnight Eastern time, at which point you've got to be cut back to $400 and less than 40 players. All right. All right. So that's a, a lot of necessary clarification, I think, for this conversation today. And now I am ready to dive in on these four categories. And Chad, I'm going to start with the one 
that I like the most because the player we're going to use as an example is one quickly growing into one of my favorite players, and that's Jazz Chisholm. So let's talk about players who are very cheap, who are look to be assets for a very long time. And keep in mind, in this particular situation, in Otnu, just because Chisholm is $1 right now and breaking out, that doesn't mean next year all of a sudden because he broke out, he's going to be like $22. He's going to get the $2 on top of that and then whatever's added on to him through arbitration. And he's still going to be a bang for his buck, assuming he continues this this breakout. He's got his own warts just like every other player. So Chisholm, Chad, he's a great example for this. And if we look at some of his recent trades, I'm going to ignore the weird Austin Martin one. So Again, we're, we're talking Fangraph's points here. I think that's worth clarifying again. But basically on May 9th, a $1 Jazz Chisholm was traded for a $4 Austin Martin, which I just found really weird. I, I you, can, you can talk about it maybe from your perspective if you want. Um, but I wanted to just immediately jump on the most recent one. And that was a $1 Jazz Chisholm for a $15 Kyle Tucker. I I don't... Exactly. And, and now we haven't, we don't have any more context, right? We don't know what the, maybe that person is going to be right, right up against the cap. A $1 jazz sounds better to them than a $15 Tucker. Well, you know, a three or $4 jazz, whatever he actually ends up being come this time next year. But I thought that was a little bit aggressive and I'm one of big chat jazz's biggest fans. So where do you stand with this type of category and what do you think of those deals? Yeah. I mean, I think jazz is an interesting one. Mostly because I think that opinions are still sort of varied on him, right? He he still has a a skill set that some people don't believe in, and, and because of that, I imagine you're getting a mix of trades with him where some people are trading him away or trading for him because he's because he's a stud and they think that he should be traded like a one dollar stud. And in other cases, I think you're seeing people trade him for because they're trying to sell high. And I think I think in both of these, well, I shouldn't say that. In the Austin Martin case you mentioned, I think that's probably what's happening. So I think you probably had somebody who had jazz, doesn't believe in the skill set, thinks Austin Martin is destined for stardom, and sold high. I don't think it was a I don't think it was a great sell high in my opinion because I think you could do better than Austin Martin uh, and I think this other deal is a good example of that. Now, the team trading Kyle Tucker, I mean, I'll just say this. If I had a $1 Jazz Chisholm and somebody offered me a $15 Kyle Tucker, I wouldn't even bother looking at how it impacts my team before I accept it. I would just take the <laughs> deal, get Tucker and like, "Oh, I have no middle infielders left. I'll figure that out later." Um but that's mostly because I'm really high on Kyle Tucker. If you're not high on Tucker, he's been struggling a bit. He seems to have turned it on of late, but you know he's a little bit of a late bloomer. He kept not getting run from the Astros for a while there. And so maybe, maybe this manager was just down on Tucker and thought that the rough start this year was more a sign that he was going to fall down than anything else. I, I don't know. Um, the team that traded away Tucker also got a dollar of cap space in this deal and they had zero. So there is a little bit of value there. So they got, they got both jazz and a dollar of cap space. I don't know. It's a tough call. I mean, the the team that gave up that they gave up Tucker is right in the middle of the league right now. It is a, this is a head to head league and it is very, very compact. There are one, two, three, four, five, six teams at four and two and two more at three and three. 
So everybody's still in the mix here. So it's not a it's not a clear case of anybody buying or selling. I don't think because they're they're all just sort of there. They get they got Jazz. They are also really struggling at, at middle infield. If I look at their roster, um, they have Fernando Tatis, who's now back and healthy. It seems their other middle infield options are Cesar Hernandez, Jorge Polanco, Andy Young, Donovan Solano. Uh, and Ha Young Kim. I don't know. I look at that team and maybe I can see they have Mookie Betts, Teoscar Hernandez, Jesse Winker, Cedric Mullins, Willie Calhoun, Austin Hayes, Austin Riley, and Brandon Belt in their outfield. I, I can see the need for middle infield. Now, I, I think they could have done better, um, especially for this year. I think they probably could have, you know, if you're going to trade Tucker, I think you could get better than Jazz Chisholm back. But I get why this team went out and traded a stud outfielder for who I imagine they feel to be a stud second baseman. I'm higher on jazz Chisholm than, than Chad is. If you've been following us, then, then you definitely realize that by now with that said, like I said before, he does have his warts and I just look at it at, at Kyle Tucker. We're talking about the former number one prospect in baseball. And I think, you know, without, well, we now have a lot more context, right? We know that that person was struggling in middle infield. So maybe that's what it's all about, but we can fall into these traps where in these longer term leagues, we just fall in love with the new exciting thing. We look at jazz Chisholm and he's played, you know, 20, whatever games and he's stolen eight bases with all these 400 foot home runs that are up by his eyes. That's great, but don't lose sight of some of these players like Kyle Tucker, who are kind of, I guess, flying under the radar and still hold that much value. So, you know, Chad, I don't want to go too far down the hypothetical wormhole because I think that could get a little dangerous, but let me put you in a situation. You are in contention. Your let's assume salary cap is not a problem for you. You can find a way to make it work. You have a $1 jazz chisholm. Let's say your hitting and pitching are about equal. You know, you want to trade that $1 jazz chisholm to improve your team because you think you got somebody on, uh, you got a seller who's willing to part with pieces and he wants that $1 jazz chisholm. What are you realistically looking to get? What's your approach in trade negotiations of, all right, I got, I got the hot young guy who's cheap. I'm looking to win. What are you looking to get in the package? It's a good question. I mean, I think what I'm probably going to do in that case, it depends a little bit on format and things like that, right? In, in points leagues where my hitting and pitching balance doesn't really matter to me very much, I'm not going to necessarily be focused on a bat or an arm unless I have a glaring need. So that's probably the first thing I'm going to do is look and say, do I have a glaring need, right? Am I Am I running out? Do I have three good outfielders? And then I am trying to desperately cobble together my fourth and fifth outfield spots, and it's ugly. If that's the case, then I'm going to go look for an outfielder. If not, if my team is sort of strong and I just need to upgrade, then I, I'm still going to look for where, like, where am I weakest? Where can the upgrade matter the most? I think it's one of the things that people underrate is like, even if you think you're sort of solid everywhere, what's the one spot where you're going to have the biggest impact if you can get a star back? And then I'm going to go look at teams that are going to be that I think will be sellers and look at who are their expensive players that I think that they can do without. And I'm going to see, can I get who's the most interesting player I can get? Right. So if I look at the bottom two teams in the league and you know, one of them has a bunch of injured guys and that's really why they're struggling and there's no one that exciting to trade for. And the other one has a really expensive Juan Soto. I'm going to try to get that Juan Soto. Uh, and, and I'm probably going to find myself in a position where I have to add something to Chisholm to get Soto. If neither of those teams has someone like a Soto, and instead I'm looking at, let's say, I don't know, an Aaron Nola, right? A 
good but not necessarily great pitcher, a guy who's been a little bit down this year, and so maybe his his value isn't quite as high. Then I might go and say, all right, I'm, I'm interested in Nola, and I could trade you Jazz, but Nola's way overpriced. He's definitely not a keeper. He hasn't been as great. He's not like, you know, it's not like I'm going and getting Corbin Burns here or Jacob deGrom or Garrett Cole. And so I need a second baseman back or I need a middle infielder back. And so I'm I'm willing to trade you Chisholm and some random prospect I have in double A for Nola and just a solid second baseman, right? I mean, it doesn't have to be someone great, but a, I'm trying to think of a good example of like a, I don't know, that team we were just looking at had... Nico um, Horner. How about him? Yeah, Nico Horner. I, I actually... Like, I'd be thrilled to get Nico Horner back. So That's I actually think Nico a good Horner's point. Pretty good. You're not trading for Jazz Chisholm if you already have Nico Horner, probably. Yeah, or or if you are, you're not giving him up, right? Like, that trade, I'm not sure... I'm not sure I would do that if I were the other team. But, like, you know, Donovan Solano's been pretty bad so far this year, but if you think he's going to bounce back to what he was doing last year, Cesar Hernandez is putting up four points per game despite some bad batted ball luck. Like, someone like that who isn't necessarily... I'm not going to get them to make my team better at second base. I'm just saying I'm tr- making this trade to make my pitching better and get Nola. And on top of that, I'm losing a middle infielder and I just want a middle infielder back so that I can continue to fill out my lineups and, and feel like I'm in a good position to compete. Uh, and so sometimes you get a little more. Sometimes you can also just go back and say, I want Nola plus some, I want you to eat a little bit more cap than you otherwise would. Or I want Nola and I want you to throw in a prospect or something like that. The reality with someone like Jazz is what I'm most likely to do is put him on my trade block and nudge a bunch of teams and see who wants to pay for him the most. Because I do think his value, like I I wouldn't necessarily do that with like Wander Franco, right? Wander Franco, top prospect in baseball. Everyone agrees he's the top prospect in baseball. If they don't think he's number one, they think he's number two or number three. I'm not like, there isn't a bunch of variability there. With Jazz, I think there is. And so there is a possibility you go to that team thinking, I'm going to go get Nola, and they're going to be like, eh, I don't really like Jazz Chisholm. I'm not that excited about him. So I'd rather just put him on the block and figure out who's going to then reach out to a bunch of teams. Because there may be a team that's in third place that's willing to trade a super exciting, interesting pitcher or outfielder because they believe Chisholm makes them better now. With a guy like that, I think you really do want to shop them around and see. Anytime you think there's variability, you want to shop them around because you want to find that owner who is the Pete Ball of your league and really loves Jazz Chisholm and will pay maximum value for him. Yes, please put that out into the atmosphere because whoever has them in our league, please send me an offer. I would love to have some jazz. (laughs) But no, I, I get it. And you use the word variability in terms of what Chisholm could produce going forward, but I think there's also extreme variability in what you could get in return. If I was the one with a $1 Jazz Chisholm right now, I would have been shocked to hear you say Aaron Nola. And you're right, Nola's not Garrett Cole, he's not Jacob deGrom, but he's he's still very good. And in any other format, in Dynasty or in Redraft, obviously, if you offer the guy who has Nola in your league, Jazz Chisholm, he's laughing you off the screen. But as, as everyone just listened from Chad, the guy who has Aaron Nola in this situation, an overpriced, expensive Aaron Nola, who he's going to have to cut anyway, actually doesn't have any leverage. And the person trading away the young stud in this case, Jazz, 
does and can ask for a little bit more. Yeah, yeah. A team with a with a, an expensive Nola that isn't competing, their leverage is just other offers are going to get right. Um, or in theory, the they could take the nuclear option and say, I'm going to cut Nola and get the like, you know, I have a forty dollar Nola. I'm going to cut him. I'll take the twenty dollar cap penalty, get a bunch of cap space, see what happens. It's not my favorite approach, but it is something you you theoretically could do. But the biggest thing is like, oh, you're not willing to give me Jazz for Nola. Well. Here's somebody else willing to give me these two prospects. Here's someone else willing to give me this young outfielder. Here's someone else willing to give me this young starting pitcher. So if you want Nola, you got to pay up, uh, and that's the that's the leverage they have. Sure, that makes total sense. So I want to move on to the next category. It's it's definitely on the opposite end, where you're the person in your league who is maybe trying to rebuild and you have a U Darvish, let's say U Darvish in points leagues, leagues, Fangraphs points leagues right now has an average of about $25. That's how much of a hit he is on your cap. He's going to be 35 years old in August. Recently, he was traded on May 10th for a package of Spencer Howard, Nate Pearson, and Dylan Carlson. But here's the kicker. Darvish himself was only $10. That's incredibly cheap for a player like him. So looking at all that, thinking about from the perspective of I'm a guy who's maybe trying to rebuild here. I've got a $25 you Darvish. I know he's obviously of immense value to every other team that's trying to contend in the league. What are you looking for? It sounds like you might actually be looking for a $1 Jazz Chisholm. So yeah, I'm looking now at some other U Darvish trades that have happened recently. And, you know, here's one where, where Darvish was traded for a $5 Joey Votto, $4 Travis Darno, $6 Key Brian Hayes, $3 Christian Robinson. Um, there's another where Darvish was, $17 Darvish was traded along with $18 Chris Sale, $6 Gavin Lux. They got a $1 Adam Eaton, which was not the prize in the deal, but also got Anthony Rendon at $32, Carlos Correa at $19, $24 Darvish for a $22 Devers straight up, just a, a nice, you know, pitching for hitting deal. Um, you know, looking at those, I mean, I think what you're seeing is that if you're going to sell Darvish, like you look at that $27 Darvish and getting a, a young, cheap Kibrian Hayes and then adding into it, like, Votto isn't young. Travis Arnault, especially for a catcher, isn't young, but they're both inexpensive. You also get a nice upside prospect in Christian Robinson, although he isn't the he's a little far away and a little toolsy. He's not necessarily the prospect I would I would be targeting. Um but I do think it gives you a sense of sort of the kinds of deals that you, you might see for a Darvish. I think if I were selling Darvish um, I think a guy like Key Brian Hayes might be, and it depends how much you value Key Brian Hayes, but like, I think that's the kind of guy I would be targeting as my, my first choice is a young, but somewhat established has done it at the major league level, inexpensive guy. And then I want more around that, especially if my Darvish is, you know, under 30 bucks where he's probably still a keeper next year. You know, I think that's, that's sort of what I'm, what I'm interested in. I mean, you know, I traded it's interesting. I traded for you Darvish in a four by four league on April 24th. I traded for a $33 Darvish, but in the deal, I also got a $14 Dansby Swanson who I only got because I wanted to cut him uh, because of the loan by trading for him and cutting him. I cleared $7 in cap space as well as an $18 Coven Biggio who in, in an on-base league, I still believe in to get those guys. I gave up um, Otto Lee Garcia, which I wish I hadn't done. A $3 Adley Rutschman, a $1 Jordan Montgomery, and a $9 Trey Mancini. 
And if I look at that and think that Biggio was, you know, maybe Mancini and Montgomery or something like that, and then Darvish cost me Gar- Adelise Garcia and Adley Rutschman, like I think that's a pretty good example of what a what an overpriced Darvish should get you, right? A, a Garcia is a young youngish guy who's establishing himself, who's cheap, who's delivering right now, and Rutschman's a, an elite prospect at a, a difficult position. Um, I think if it were me, I might rather take a prospect who is a half step down from Rutschman in order to get a slightly more established player than than Adelis Garcia was, especially this was a month ago. Right. In retrospect, you know, if I'm looking at Garcia now, he's a lot more valuable than he was a month ago. It wasn't a great trade on my part, but that is the kind of thing I'd be looking for. No, that that makes total sense. I think it's also consistent with what you've been saying all along, Chad, when it comes to Ot new, right? Like if if you have a you Darvish who's yes, he's going to be 35, but he's still performing as well as he ever has. And he's around his average salary, like 25 bucks. Anyway, under 30, like you said, you're really not looking to move him. You know, like that that kind of rebuild really shouldn't take you that long. On the opposite end, if he is overpriced, sure, looking at a package similar to that, maybe a lesser prospect than Adley Rushman for a more established veteran still sets you up to get back to that competing window very quickly, um, which I obviously agree with. And we've talked about this before. In formats like new Salary Cap Keeper Leagues, it really shouldn't take you long to rebuild. Dynasty, it could be a grind, but in Keeper, you should be able to turn these puppies around pretty quickly. So we talked about rebuilding last time, like I said. The first place I would start with any new team, though, to rebuild would be to trade away my relievers. I've kind of already started that process with my own new team by trading away Rezel Iglesias, but... Like I said, we'll talk about that trade a little bit later, and I had my reasons for it outside of selling so early in the season. But I like to look at Mark Melanson, not because I also roster him, but because I think he fits this definition kind of like perfectly. Melanson is old, but he looks like a rock right now with excellent peripherals. He's leading baseball in saves, ERA and whip, both under one. He has been off. The only thing we wish we had with him was strikeouts, but we knew we weren't going to get that. So this right now is gravy. His average salary right now is $3. Well, it's a smidge above $3. So he could be had exceptionally cheap, adds a big bonus. He's averaging about, I want to say, 11.5 points per inning in Ot New Fangraph points, which is a substantial amount of points per inning for a pitcher. That might lead. I don't know. Chad, I'm sure I could speak to that. A it's it's got to be up there. I mean, that's, that is, you know, relievers obviously do a lot better than, than starters in, in outer new points uh, in terms of points per inning pace, but man, even for a reliever, that's, that is an impressive number. And that is exactly why he's going to be one of the first players I trade away. And again, I used the word rebuilding, and I I don't want to use that word. I'm retooling because I plan on competing next year. Whereas if you use that word rebuild, it kind of sounds like you're in for a multi-year haul. He's clearly one of my best chips because he's cheap and he's performing similar to Jazz Chisholm. Except if you're the other team, you probably aren't valuing Mark Melanson the way you would value a Jazz Chisholm, even though they're around the same price, they're both performing at a high level. The age difference is obviously has its implication there. If you're trading for Melanson, the salary isn't even really that important because you're probably not keeping him next year unless it's set in stone that you are going to, that he is going to have that closer job. So 
I've really only given you one to work with. Um, and, and there's also only one trade to work with that player. So we're talking Melanson. There's one trade that's been done recently for him. And I say recently in Fangraph's points. That's what I'm looking at right now. In Fangraph's points, he's only been traded once since it's been official that he's the closer. He was traded in tandem with a $5 Benintendi. Now, Melanson was a $6 Melanson. So $6 Melanson, $5 Benintendi. And that was for a $5 Lance Lynn. That really jumped out to me because Lance Lynn is, he might as well be an ace at this point. He did, he ended the year last season on a terrible note, but he's come back now with the White Sox and looks like his typical beast self, even after a brief stint on the IL. You're also getting Benintendi back. I realized that. So maybe neither of these sides were really selling. This looks like a competitor to competitor. But what are you looking to get at this stage of the season if you're trading away a Mark Melanson? Because clearly, if you are, you're not trying to compete. Honestly, for Melanson, um, anything I would keep. And it's like a, it's a simple way to say it, but like I know I'm not keeping him. He he is the kind of guy who, like, if he turns around and has a rough start to the month of June. He could be out of the closer role and not be valuable really quickly. And so I'm putting him on my block. And if somebody offers me a prospect I think is worth keeping, a young position player I think is someone who would, you know, anybody who I think could be on my roster next year or anyone who I think I might be able to trade up, right? And you think about the, you know, this old story about like the kid trading a paper clip for a dime and the dime for this and then, right? And like, you know, getting a car at the end or something like that. It's like, like Dwight some... Schrute in the uh, Fleet That's right. episode. Yes. That's right. So like there are cases where you can, you can paperclip your way up a little bit, right? And you take Melanson and you trade him for someone who you don't necessarily love, but who you think has better trade value than Melanson. And then trade that guy for someone who you think is okay and maybe has a little bit more trade value. And you just try to, then you package that guy with someone else and you eventually get something you're excited about. With someone like Melanson, I'm, I'm moving pretty quick on that. With a reliever who's less well less old um but also less volatile like i i don't i don't know how much i trust melanson with a reliever who i have more faith in to be good long term then i start to treat them more like any other player right if i have a three dollar let's say let's say i have a three dollar uh james karen check Right, who I think is going to continue to sort of be what he's been. He's occasionally going to be wild. He's going to be a little homer prone at times, but he is putting up big numbers. And I think he's going to continue to put up big numbers. He is currently, it appears, in the closer role for Cleveland, although I think that might be temporary as they're letting Class A get sort of resettled. Um, but he's putting up 11.17 points per inning. If I've got a $3 version of him, to me, that's like a twelve or fifteen dollar player in Auto New Fangraphs points, and I'm going to treat him like that. And I'm I'm a little bit more willing to trade a twelve to fifteen dollar reliever on a three dollar contract than I am a twelve to fifteen dollar outfielder on a three dollar contract, for example, because relievers are just more volatile by by nature. But I'm not just going to give him away. Um, he is still one of the first things I would look to trade in that case because I think you can often get much better value than than a reliever. And I think bullpens are relatively easy to rebuild, but I'm going to be, I'm going to treat, I would treat that reliever more like I would any other position. Melanson or anyone else who's that age, that level of volatility, that level of, of risk, whatever you want to call it. Like 
I'm much more likely to just be like, you know what? If somebody, if I know there is just no way I would keep this guy, just give me something. Anything that I think is worth keeping. And it has to be something worth keeping that's more valuable than just cutting Melanson, right? Because one of the things you could do with like, let's say an $8 Melanson is you can cut him. You get a $4 cap penalty. Somebody will either pick him off, off waivers or start an auction for him pretty quickly, which will clear your other $4. And so now you've got $8 to spend. And sometimes having $8 to spend is more valuable than getting a $3 random prospect that you're not excited about. So that's, but that's it. That's my baseline. Better than cutting him. If it's better than cutting him, I'd probably take it. So my hopes of trading Melanson for a King's ransom has really has really been dashed here. But that does make total sense, especially when you consider the volatility of the position. Like you said, if all of a sudden he goes from the ninth inning guy to the eighth inning guy, well, now he's an older eighth inning player who does not strike anybody out. He's he's cuttable at that point. He should just be cut at that point, in which case any chance you had at acquiring something like you said, that's worth keeping. That's now gone. So don't be surprised, Chad, if I remind everyone that Mark Melanson is on my trade block soon. But that is one place to start if you are looking to bring in some pieces. Start with your relievers because I can tell you right now, I might if I trade away Mark Melanson and all of a sudden my season starts to look a little bit better, I'll regret it, but I can still compete. You know, it's it's not the end of the world that I've traded him away. Whereas if I begin some some grand teardown by trading away my Alex Bregman, well, that's that's signifying that my season is absolutely done. So the last category of player, Chad, that we were going to dive into here are studs that are paid like studs and perform like studs and are going to be studs going forward. And so we looked at before the, the show started Mookie Betts. And so I think we should just dive right in because I love the example trade uh I, I say example, this is a real trade that happened between two teams on May 6th, and it was a $62 Mookie Betts, which is just, to me, my first year playing this, an astronomical number. I do have Mookie Betts myself. I have him on a much cheaper contract than that. My Mookie Betts right now is, drumroll, $47, which makes me feel pretty good about that, even though I have nothing to do with it because I just took over this team. That was accompanied with an $11 Ian Happ. He just homered today. Maybe he's back. Who knows? He does have a lot of flexibility. And again, this is Fangraph's points. So a $62 Mookie Betts and $11 Ian Happ for a 20, or I'm sorry, $9, very different, $9 Keston Hura, who we know has been sent down and just looks plain awful, but a $7 Trent Grisham as well. That is a slam dunk contract. So Chad, your thoughts on trading for or trading away studs who are going to be studs who are paid like studs and do you think this trade was a was a pretty solid one for the guy acquiring Grisham was that worth giving up bets yeah I mean this is this is an interesting one bets at 62 dollars is my guess is there are people out there playing out or new who would tell you that a 64 dollar bets next year is worth keeping um, I'm not sure I'm one of those people. <laughs> I think that's a little much for me. Uh, and so I think if you're not competing, trading bets makes sense. And I think Grisham is exactly the type of player you should be targeting with him. I don't know that you'll necessarily get a Grisham. You're more likely to find somebody willing to give you two or three players who are not quite Grisham. But that's the kind of guy you should go after, right? And and what you're basically doing is you're saying that team, and, and especially by throwing in Hap, right? The Hap for Hira piece of this. If I look at that, I'm assuming... This was May 6th. By this point, Hira had fallen on his face. He might have already been demoted by that time. Like it was 
things weren't happening for Hira. And so I think what you're effectively doing is saying to this team, look, you want bets. I need to get paid. And I know that you're going to tell me that bets is only 10%, 15%, whatever it is, better than Grisham. And so I'm going to give you Ian Happ as well. Right? I'm basically going to throw in Ian Happ. And I think this is a really good example of where salaries make such a difference in trade talks. Because the reality is that in a redraft league, nobody in a redraft league is trading Grisham for bets. Or is trading bets for Grisham, right? If you have bets and someone's like, hey, I'm going to give you my, my Trent Grisham for your bets. You're like, yeah, Good what girl. other seven players are you adding in, right? <laughs> but in this context where a team is rebuilding and can go into next season with a $9 Grisham instead of a $64 bets, I actually think it's totally reasonable. They were like, you want Grisham for bets? What else are you giving me? And it's, you know, when I look at this deal, I mean, I think if you're the team that's trying to compete here and you've just you've just upgraded yourself at middle infield pretty significantly by getting rid of here and getting Hap, at least based on the way they're performing right now. Um, and Hap has, has struggled too, but is really starting to turn around. You were you were wrong when you said he homered today, by the way. He's homered twice today. Uh-huh. So <laughs> he's he is definitely turning it on since he came back from the IL. Um, and so now you've made a big upgrade to your middle infield and you've made an upgrade to your outfield and you've done it at the cost of being able to keep Grisham next year, which, which sucks. That's a real cost, but you've, you've made yourself better all over your offense. And so I totally get it. So I look at this deal and like, it feels like a win-win to me. Um, I think if I had Grisham, I would rather be the team selling and getting Grisham here, I think, given the choice between the two. But it's it's a tough call. I might have asked for someone different than Hira. Not even necessarily someone better, just like I'm not a big Hira believer at this point. Uh, and so I might have wanted someone slightly different. If I were giving up Grisham, maybe I could see arguing that there's so, that I need something a little more than I'm getting, but I'm not, I don't know. I think this is a pretty good deal for both sides. And my guess is both of these managers feel pretty good about it. Right. I think, I think the guy who got Grisham is probably looking at his 2022 roster and saying, I'm going to pencil in my $9 Trent Grisham and I'm going to pencil in $55 saved off of bets that I can spend. And who knows who's going to be available at auction, but like, you know, is that person going to be in a position to get like a $30 Yelich and a $20, I don't know, Schwarber next year and st- and have those two plus Grisham instead of having just bets? That's not a bad place to be. And if their outfield is good and they don't need to spend that on outfielders, then they can spend it on infielders. They can spend it on pitchers, right? They So I, I think that both of these teams are probably pretty happy right now. Yeah, it's funny. You brought up the fact that you wouldn't have wanted here. You would have asked for somebody else. And I imagine there needed to be somebody else because to maybe line up the salaries a little bit. But if not, I'd rather just have the nine dollars in cap space than the guests in here at this point. At well, maybe they're going to cut here. Sure. Oh, yeah. That, that, and that could definitely be part of it as well. I wonder. Let's see if they what they've done with here. Oh, st- that, that, that here is still on that team. So they're still sitting on them, at least for now. Um, and I guess if you're rebuilding like there's nothing wrong with sitting on here for a little bit and seeing what they can do. And if I look at this team, this is this league, this is a, a head-to-head league. It's got three divisions, which is similar to how our head-to-head is set up. 
I'll I'll name this team later, which is the team that got Grisham and Hira is the only team at one in five. So they're they're the worst record in the league. They're not actually the worst scoring team in the league, but they're the worst record in the league. The team Empire State of Mind is sort of middle of the pack scoring, but is second in their division and just a game out of first. I I think both of these teams are pretty pretty happy. Now looking at um looking at Empire State of Mind, which is the team that acquired Betts and and Hap. I mean, they have some other interesting young players. They have a three dollar Jeter Downs, a two dollar Brandon Marsh. A $10 Adley Rutschman, a $7 Nolan Jones, a $6 Joe Adele. My goodness, this team has too many prospects to be competing. They should be. They, this team needs to do some more buying, and they need to do it fast. They're up. To, their, their trade block actually lists a bunch of these guys, so they're trying to do that, which is smart. I might have asked for like Adele instead of Hira. I might have preferred a $6 Adele to a $9 Hira. I, I don't know though. I, I look at this and like that feels like a big win for this team. Their their middle infield situation. They have Garrett Hampson, who's been decent, but is not particularly good in Fangraph's points just because of what his skill set is. Nick Madrigal, Ian Happ. They had Hira, who they now have traded away. And then at shortstop, they have Javi Baez, Tim Anderson, and J.P. Crawford. Crawford hasn't been good. So now you've got Anderson and Baez, and you can add Happ as your third middle infield player instead of relying on Hampson, Madrigal, and Hira. That's a pretty big upgrade. So yeah, I feel good about this trade for both of these teams. Yeah, that's a that's a substantial, substantial upgrade. And you know, you brought up Adele, and I'm with you. I would rather just save the three dollars and go with Joe Adele. But to be fair, Joe Adele has been basically Keston Hura in the minor leagues with the strikeouts. I mean, he is just whiffing at everything. So let's hope Joe Adele turns it around. Chad, that leads us nicely right into our odd new question of the day, which once again is personal to my team, but once again, I think is something people could benefit from. And it's breaking down another one of these trades. It does involve an overpriced reliever. So let me jump right in, but I do want to provide some context for my own team. I'm not looking at this as like a massive rebuild. I viewed this particular trade as an opportunity for me to get a pitcher that I think has just as much upside as the guy I was trading away at a cheaper cost. And I also got to open up. Well, I didn't open up any cap space because I had I traded away a loan that basically covered the the difference. But I traded away a $14 Razor Iglesias. So anyway, let, let's let's get to the actual trade here. So I traded away my $13 Julio Urias, who is way outperforming that those $13. And my $14 Razel Iglesias. And in return, I got an $8 Jesus Lazardo and a $5 Haseon Kim, who I'm not huge on, but I'll take it. I'll take it. And I, I could cut him and, and save a few dollars anyway, if I decide to. But hey, just a few months ago, we were looking at this guy as potentially a monster. So I'll bide my time here. But I, I didn't feel like as long as I get Lazardo back in a reasonable amount of time, I don't feel like the downgrade from Urias to Lazardo is so substantial. If it even ends up being a downgrade, I don't think it would shock the world exactly if Lazardo outproduced Urias the rest of the season, although it certainly would be a little surprising. And that $14 Razel Iglesias, he hasn't been great this year, although he's turned it around recently. And I think I can survive losing a reliever to, in the long term, save a few dollars on a pitcher. So there's a lot of moving pieces here, even though only four players were traded. What were your thoughts on this deal, Chad, considering where my team is at right now at four and six, I want to say? And would you have made this deal in my position? And I have very thick skin, so please feel free to rip it if need be. (laughs) 
just terrible, terrible trade. <laughs> no, uh, I don't know. It's it's a really interesting one. I mean, I think I'll start with this. I, I'm in, I'm in a non-auto new head-to-head keeper league where I had a Iglesias around the same price. It's a league that has uh, categories and it's six by six categories and saves are a category. And so being a closer really matters. And I cut my Iglesias last week at a similar price. And I just got tired of waiting for him, decided I would eventually be able to find other, another relief option anyways. I picked up a couple of middle relievers briefly. And then this week was able to add, I had both him, I had both Iglesias and Rafael Montero. I got both of them at the same time, picked up middle relievers and then just replaced them with Tyler Rogers and Josh Stallman. Both those guys, at least for now, appear to be closers. They both are talented enough to theoretically keep the jobs given who they're competing with in their respective bullpens. So why not? Which is not related to your trade, except to say, I don't really care about giving up a $14 rise of Iglesias. I happen to know that the manager you traded with is a Reds fan and is an Iglesias believer. And so it is you may have you may have hit sort of the, the perfect person to send Iglesias to um, because I don't think you gave up a lot in terms of giving up Iglesias. And I think that he probably values Iglesias as a guy who's likely to turn it around. He might be right. But if he's right, you've given up a full price Iglesias who you're, you're never going to keep, who wasn't really providing much value above and beyond what he was paid anyways. As for the rest of the deal, you know, this is... So Niv Shah, who's the guy who built Auto New and is sort of the man behind it, likes to talk about trades and players who are Rorschach tests, where what you see in the trade tells me more about you than it does about the trade. Um, which I And I think this is sort of one of those cases where I could see some people being like, man, Kim doesn't have a job. Lizardo has really struggled. Now he's hurt again. And Urias is just shoving. Why would you make that deal? And I could also see a lot of people saying... Urias is good, but the Dodgers play a lot of games with their starting pitchers, and Luzardo and Kim are incredible talents. And like giving Kim a few months to adjust to playing in America before we, you know, assume he isn't what we thought he would be, and and giving up on Luzardo when he's still only what is he like twenty four, twenty three years old? Um, yeah, he's twenty three years old. Like just it doesn't make any sense. And like giving up your, your IS for those two is really nice. Like, so I could see it going both ways. My read on this, I tend to be a Lizardo fan. I've, I, I've watched one of his early, early starts in the majors and his, or one of his early relief appearances. Cause he came up and started as a reliever briefly, didn't he? Um, but his, his stuff is just nasty. And when he's on, like, I, I, absolutely believe he has a higher ceiling than Urias. He's less likely to reach it, but I think he has a higher ceiling. And so if I'm looking at those two, I I can totally get it. You save $5 in the process. I also think um, I'm not a huge Kim fan, but I I think that there is a possibility he still establishes himself. I think the big challenge with Kim is I still don't know where he plays. Um, Unfortunately for him, he has struggled and Jake Cronenworth has not struggled. And so there isn't a middle infield job for him and there's not going to be, and there's not a job share for him and there's not going to be, he's just a utility guy for now. So you're waiting on an injury. You're waiting on a trade. You're waiting on something to open something up for him. Um, 
I think the good thing is there's a lot of things that could open stuff up for him because I do think they would like, you know, they, they tried Cronenworth in the outfield in the spring. I think if they get an outfield injury, that could come back. I don't know. We'll see. I think that there is still a lot of upside in Kim's bat. And so I think this is a, just sort of a good trade. I think it's a totally reasonable trade either way. Um, I'm just looking at Kim's numbers right now. His last eight starts, he has put up 33 points. Um, his last seven starts actually he's put up about 32 points. And so he's creeping up closer lately to that five points per game that you want to see out of a, out of a bat. And so I'm, you know, I like what I see from him. He is definitely talented. It takes a while to adjust to a new league and a new country and a new continent and all the other things he's got to deal with right now. And so, yeah, I mean, I think when I look at this overall, I get it for both sides, right? I, the other team is, is more aggressively competing than you are. Um, and so I know that, that Ryan, the other, the other manager he made this deal with is probably very happy to have gotten, to have gotten a guy who is both producing right now and will continue to be reasonably priced. And I also understand what, why you made this deal and think that you probably got more upside in the deal than he did. Now the question is, can Lizardo actually reach that? Right. I do think there is a very real possibility that in three, four months, we're going to look back and like. Lizardo is really going to be struggling to put it together. His health is still going to be an issue. And this trade is going to look bad. Um, I also think there's a chance that we're going to go into next season with people talking about Lizardo as a, you know, dark horse Cy Young candidate. And he certainly pitches in the ballpark that would allow him to pursue such an achievement. Uh, yeah. yeah, you basically... As long start... as they don't move to the desert, right? If they end up as the the Las Vegas athletics, that ball that's is probably going to fly in Las Vegas. Oh, that's actually a great point. Uh, that interesting story that came out earlier this week. But no, I mean, you pretty much summed up what my feelings were when you were talking about my perspective on this trade. I look at it as, I, I, at this point in time, differentiating the long-term value of Urias versus Lazardo because Urias is still a pretty young guy. I, I didn't see enough of a difference to not say, okay, fine, I'll, I'll, I'll take that, you know, that $5 and, and, and take on Lazardo at this point. Again, I'm not, it looks like I'm some seller and I did just sell off my best starting pitcher. So, it, you know, it definitely does look that way, but I don't view it that way. I think I could get Lazardo back and get similar production here uh, that I would have gotten from Julio Urias, but we certainly need Jesus Lazardo to stop beating himself up as he's playing video games. Chad, we've touched upon a lot here. We've tackled the Otnew question of the day. We looked at trades from the perspective of Otnew and different various owners and what situations they might find themselves in. Is there anything you wanted to leave the listeners with as they approach their Otnew trades before we break away here? You know, I, I think the big thing is, and we've talked about it sort of repeatedly through this episode, and so I probably don't need to remind you, but think about value both now and in the future and not just production today, right? I think it's the biggest shift from redraft is this idea that like Grisha, like Mookie Betts might not be enough to get you Trent Grisham. <laughs> like that's a, it's a sort of a weird concept, but it's true. And, and based on their salaries, I think in that case, it, it wasn't enough and with good reason. And so just think about that as you're making trade offers that you're not just trading player A's stats for player B's stats. You're trading contracts as well as production. And so you want to make sure you're thinking about the value of players in the future. And we've talked about this in the auto new context, but it's true in any keeper league where there's costs associated with the guy, 
right? And so the same thing, like that same type of trade could play out in a league where somebody has Mookie Betts as a first rounder and another team has Trent Grisham from last year and they cost a 22nd rounder, right? In that case, there are good reasons that you might say, yeah, I'm going to trade away Grisham to get bets because I want to win this year. And there are good reasons to say, I'm not competing this year. So if I can get rid of bets and have Grisham on a 22nd round contract and get to use my first round pick next year, that's worth it. And so anytime you're dealing with costs in a keeper league, whether it's auto new, whether it's you know draft pick compensation, whatever it is, make sure you think about that value next year and beyond because it has a real impact on trade values. Awesome. And that was good stuff on how, yes, it does carry over to our other traditional keeper formats. Well, folks, thank you once again for listening. You can follow uh, the podcast at at keep or cut. You can follow Chad at at Chad Young. You can follow myself at at Pete B baseball. We're looking to come right back at you weekly again, every Monday. We're sorry for the week off there. Thank you for listening and take care.